Hi, and welcome to the Royal Free London Private Patient Units podcast, where we invite our consultants in and ask some questions about health topics and the latest treatments. I'm Tanya Nelson. In today's episode, we invite Prof Epstein to answer some of the frequently asked questions about vagus nerve. What is its function? How vagus nerve activity can be measured and how it might contribute to our well-being and ill health. Thank you, Prof, for joining us again on um, another podcast. It's good to have you back and to hear from you. So I've heard you speak about the body's hardware and software. Can you explain a bit more about this? Thanks for having me on, firstly. And uh, I think this is a very important topic. Um, If you think of the human body, one normally thinks about the heart, the lungs, and the abdominal organs like the liver, the spleen, the pancreas, and the digestive tract. When you think of that, you imagine these organs as you've seen them in biology textbooks or in anatomy books. But what you can't see, and and, and one would call that the hardware, what you can't see are the connections between the organs, Uh, just the same as on your mobile phone or on a computer. You can see the screen and you can see the picture on the screen, but all the activity that is going on behind the scenes to create that is really unseen by you. So that would be the software of a computer system. Um, Maybe the best analogy would be to think of an orchestra. Uh, If you think of an orchestra with all its different instruments, um, one thing you can do is you can look at the instruments. So you can take the trumpet and have a blow, piano, play a piano tune. But in actual fact, the orchestra is all about the communication between the different parts of the orchestra, and in particular, the relationship between the orchestra and the conductor. So the body has got hardware, it's got all these organs, which independently you can look at, and we've got wonderful tools for looking at the organs like ultrasound, CT, MRI, endoscopy, et cetera. Um, But what we're not so good at being able to visualize is the system that actually coordinates and makes the music for the body. So the body has got hardware and it's got software. And what we're gonna be talking about today is the relationship between ill health, well-being, and hardware and software. Um, so you touched briefly on, on um, system. So I want to talk about the autonomic nervous system. What is that exactly? If I could return to the analogy of the orchestra, the orchestra will play together, hopefully make a good tune, but it will play louder and softer depending on the conductor's interpretation of that piece. And that loudness or softness is really determined by signals that are given by the conductor. So if you think of it, the the body functions also need to play louder and softer. For example, if you're walking up the stairs, your body systems need more oxygen. The muscles need to work a little bit harder. The heart has to work a little bit harder. It has to play a little bit louder. And the autonomic nervous system is what coordinates all that upregulation so that the body can perform appropriately for the tasks in mind. On the other hand, there are times when you want to rest, you want to sit in front of the television, and where the heart and the lungs and the muscles and the other organs don't really have to work so hard. It's the autonomic nervous system which senses that and automatically, without you being in charge of it, down-regulates the system so that it's nice and calm and restful. So if you think of it, the autonomic nervous system is part of the software which determines whether the body is rock and rolling or whether it's experiencing a lullaby and some calmness. 
And what is the vagus nerve and what is its main function? Okay, so the, the vagus nerve is very topical at the moment. Um, you read about it in the newspapers and in magazines and in social media. And the reason for it is because there's been a lot of interest in this rather unusual nerve. Um, there are nerves that come out of the brain called the cranial nerves. These are the nerves that uh, influence everything that happens around the face. So it's hearing, smelling, tasting, moving your forehead, putting your tongue out, etc. These are called the cranial nerves. And they're relatively short nerves. They don't have to go very far from the brain. However, there's one nerve called the vagus nerve, which in a sense emerges from the brain and it dives deep into the thorax, into the chest and deep into the abdomen. If you think of it, perhaps like a very tall, long tree. So there are the roots of the tree, which are reaching underground to all the areas where there is nutrition for the tree. There is the trunk of the tree, which is carrying messages up and down. And then there is the top of the tree, which you could think of as being the brain, which is all the energy is being produced, etc. So the vagus nerve connects the brain via a, a, a long communication system with roots to all of the organs, the heart, the lungs, the kidney, the liver, the gallbladder, and the digestive tract, as well as all the other smaller organs. Um, it, it's essentially um, a telephone network or an internet of the body. So it's a very special nerve. It's called the vagus. Uh, it's derived from the word vagabond, Vagabond meaning it's all over the show. It, it finds its way all over the place. And you're going to be hearing a lot about the vagus nerve in time to come. Because it's connected to so many of our organs. As you said, it's like a telephone telephone network. Um, how does this nerve contribute to our well-being or our ill health? Okay, so if we continue that analogy and consider it to be the internet of the body, it's the information superhighway of the body. Maybe think of it like this. We have our external organs, that's our eyes, our nose, our ears, throat, uh, our tongue, and our, our, our sense of touch to tell us about the outside world. So we are aware of our environment by virtue of what we call extraception. These are things that we can see outside. Now, obviously, our body needs to know about what's going on internally. It needs eyes and ears and nose of the internal organ systems to know how they're working and to know whether they're well or not. And so what the vagus nerve is really doing is it's offering an information superhighway. It's uploading information from all the organs so that the brain, not your consciousness, but the lower parts of your brain, the subconscious, is constantly receiving a huge amount of uploaded information, telling it about the state of the organs. And of course, the brain has an expectation that it should be normal. And once the brain has received this information from all the organ systems, it kind of integrates them. And then it has the ability to send downstream messages back to the organs to ask them to respond to whatever's going on in the environment. So if you think of the function of the vagus nerve, it's the eyes and ears, and it's the effector system of our internal organs and our body. So, so far we've, we've talked about the, what the vagus nerve is and its function and how instrumental it is to our nervous system. Um, what, what disorders are associated with an impaired vagus nerve activity? Okay, well, this is sort of an, an area of modern <coughs> research. 
I guess if 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 you want to think of it this way, um, our our evolution has attuned us to responding to things that happen in life. So there are periods when we rested, there are periods when we eat, there are periods when we're stressed, there are periods when we're fearful, uh, there are periods when we sleep, um, there are periods when we are in communication with others. And these are the normal functions that we all go through. So life has got um, its ups and downs. And what the autonomic nervous system and our sensory systems generally are doing is they modulating it so that if you're under stress, for example, um, you will respond by perhaps what we call fight and flight or degrees of fight and flight. And once you have really managed to contain that stressful experience, then everything will revert back to normal. So it's a bit like a thermostat. It's responding to an average temperature, but it's able to take you through different states of of being and consciousness without you necessarily having to think your way through it. So it's automatic. So life has its ups and downs and the autonomic nervous system, um, in a sense, coordinates our, response, our responses. Now, the, the possibility is and the belief is that maybe in our society, and as we've evolved into sort of a modern industrialized society, um, there are different pressures on our systems. Um, there's much more stress, in fact, you know, the pandemic is a good example of that. Um, you know, our bodies weren't really designed to deal with this chronic long-term uncertainty about what's going to be happening tomorrow. Um, there are stresses of work, there's stresses of travel, there's stresses of family life, there are financial stresses, et cetera, et cetera. And th there, there are times of calm as well. Um, we won't evolve to sitting in front of television sets and looking at blue light, for example, on our mobile phone screens. So... The, the, the body really perhaps hasn't had the time to adapt to modern lifestyles. And so one can start to develop the idea that the autonomic nervous system and the messaging system is a bit confused. It's not quite sure how to respond to all these factors that it is presented with uh, in, in this modern day and age. And by being confused or by I suppose you could think of it conveying spam information, false news, so to speak. Um, that may be the setting for body organs to behave in a less predictable way, in a less appropriate way, way and to um, perhaps um, sideline us from well-being into feeling unwell. So conditions that we believe might be caused by our inappropriate body responses to the stress of life are numerous. For example, for a gastroenterologist, um, irritable bowel syndrome would be the classic. Lots of people suffer from IBS. And um, we believe that this is a software disorder because the hardware, if you look at it, is completely normal. If you look at the trumpet, it looks normal, but the orchestra of the digestive tract isn't playing in tune. And then there are other conditions like chronic headache, fibromyalgia, hyperventilation syndromes. People get chest pain where the ECG and the chest x-ray and the CT scan of the chest is entirely normal. People who feel they need to pass urine very often, although they don't have a urinary tract infection and their bladder looks like it works properly. These are all problems, potentially problems of orchestration of the way that the software is trying to manage the situation, but it's disrupted because it's living in an environment that it's not quite used to adapting to. 
So I hope that kind of gives you some idea of the range of disorders. In fact, just to finish off this particular point, in gastroenterology, most of the, the case mix, the patients that we see, either in primary care or for that matter in hospital care, most of the patients don't actually have hardware problems. They don't have colitis, cancer, Crohn's disease, ulcers, hiatus hernias, et cetera. Uh, probably two thirds, if perhaps a little bit more patients have essentially got their symptoms due to the unseen software abnormalities. So that, that's really why this is becoming a very important component of holistically thinking about the human body and how the human body works. Can you measure the vagus nerve function and whether the balance favors well-being or ill health? Okay, that's a fantastic question because how, how good it would be if there was some kind of objective method of seeing what effect the lifestyles that we live has on our physiology, on our orchestra, on our internal bodies, how nice that would be. Until recently, that was quite hard to do. There was no easy way of measuring. You could look at somebody and say, well, or you could speak to somebody and say, well, you, you seem very stressed. And, and maybe that's why you're feeling unwell. And we know that you're having problems with your job, your boss is treating you badly. There are all sorts of problems in your life. That's why, you, you know, so, but that would be very subjective. And after all, we're all a bit stressed and you know, I think most of us, our mood is, is not always fantastic, is it? You know, it's not normal to be happy all the time. So it's quite difficult to make an objective judgment as to how important that is. But, you know, in, in the past decade or so, there, there has been the development of a way of measuring physiological well-being. I'm not talking about necessarily psychological well-being, but how well your orchestra is, is, is being managed. And if I can explain it to you, um, it's done like this. When you breathe in like that, your heart rate increases. So it goes a little bit faster. When you breathe out, your heart rate goes a little bit slower. It's almost as if when you're breathing in, your lungs are full of oxygen and your heart wants to get it all out to your tissues. When you breathe out, there's very little oxygen and therefore the heart slows down. And this is really microseconds. You couldn't measure it by feeling the pulse, for example, the difference between heartbeats and inspiration and expiration. And we call this heart rate variability. And in a situation where there is well-being, physiological well-being, when the orchestra is playing a wonderful tune, there is very good heart rate variability. You can see this on machinery, which I'll show you in a moment. I'll show you what that, what, what that looks like. Um, if, however, the orchestra is playing out of tune, heart rate variability tends to disappear. You don't see this movement between inspira inspiration and expiration. It tends to be much more uniform. And that is thought to be a very good window as to what's happening in all the organ systems. Now, the way we can measure it is by using this little device over here. I'll show it to you. Called Bodyguard. It's, it's a little computer. This over here is a computer inside over here. And it's like, uh, it's like a little ECG. You can see it's got a press stud here. And you can put a little sticky pad on the back of that and a little sticky pad on the back of the other end over here. And then it's applied under the clothing. So if you have somebody who you wish to measure heart rate variability, you present them with this uh, little wearable device. It's very lightweight. They wear it under their clothing, and it's worn for 72 hours, day and night, except obviously when you bath your shower. 
And throughout the 72 hours, it's measuring how well your heart rate variability is, is um, presenting itself. And then by looking at a record of what happens during the day, during the night, when you're at work, when you're traveling to and from work, when you're eating, when you're feeling bloated, when you're feeling muscle aches and pains, when you're feeling down in the dumps, and um, associating that sort of diary of events with heart rate variability, it's possible to come up with a number, a well-being number, which is very well validated, which can demonstrate whether the orchestra is playing in tune or out of tune. So it's now possible to start measuring the software, which until the development of these sort of tools, it was impossible to do. In fact, uh, in, in some of these fancy watches that people wear, um, smart watches, um, it is possible to measure heart rate variability. Uh, it's not very accurate, unfortunately, so I wouldn't rely on it. But there is going to be a time when I guess we'll all be possibly wearing some sort of little device which will tell us our physiological state at any one time and give us the opportunity of saying, hey, hang on, I'm a bit more stressed than I should be. Perhaps I should just take a step back now and allow things to settle down and start to get some kind of control. So yes, we can start to measure indirectly, we can start to measure inner well-being, orchestration of our body by using this particular apparatus called, called Bodyguard, which we probably one of the only center, the PPU at the Royal Free is probably one of the only centers, I, I guess, just about in the world that offers this new technology. Thank you for explaining that and um, introducing us to the Bodyguard um, test and treatment. Um, is it possible to correct loss of the vagus contribution to well-being? Well, again, it's early days, but there are lots of things that you can do to influence the, the orchestra, okay, if you think of it like that. There are some things that one can do for oneself, and it's been shown over and over again by scientists, neuroscientists who are interested in, in the vagus nerve, that some of the things that we do that we know induce calm, for example, listening to music, particularly, um, yoga, meditation, having a good relationship with somebody else, pleasant relationship with somebody else, um, pursuing a hobby. During those periods of time, heart rate variability will tend to increase, which is good. You want to have heart rate variability. You want to have this difference between inspiration and expiration. Breathing, uh, because it's so related to breath, can influence it as well. So for example, um, special types of breathing, and there's yoga breathing. I mean, I'm not really a a yoga um, practitioner myself, but you know there are special yoga breathings which have been shown to strongly influence the vagus nerve. So it's kind of a, a breath in and a very slow, long breath out. And so there are apps now that you can get on a mobile phone, for example. There's one I think called I Breathe um, that I've seen, which will say, okay, well, for the next, set yourself for 10 minutes of gentle breathing. And by doing that two or three times during the day, you can start to re-regulate yourself. You can start to re-regulate that. Now, there are other things that can be done as well. Firstly, if the vagus nerve looks as though it's being underactive, it is possible to kind of reboot it, to stimulate it. And there's this uh, device over here, which is called Parison. It's just one of a number of devices. I can just turn it around, which is basically a, it's a nerve stimulator uh, because by providing 
nerves with a little bit of electrical activity, you can stimulate nerves. And there's a branch of the vagus nerve in the ear, this part of the ear here, which is called the tragus, the front bit here, the little bit that wobbles around, um, has got a branch of the vagus nerve, amazingly. The branch actually goes to this part of the ear. So this little ear clip that I showed you over here attaches to the left tragus over here. And this little box over here is a pulse generator. And you basically you turn it on and you provide a little bit of, feels like a buzzing sensation to the vagus nerve here. And you leave it on for half an hour, twice a day. And in that way, you can actually, um, in a sense, boost the orchestra, okay, or boost the orchestration. And in some individuals where the bodyguard test is very abnormal, that is really worth trying because a number of patients find that to be really quite helpful in controlling their symptoms. So if they've got um, fatigue, tiredness, in fact, in long COVID, it's now been shown for the first time that vagus nerve stimulation helps the fatigue. It's very small studies, but they've been done in the United States in the US Army as it happens. So it looks as though that might be quite useful. Um, and the other, the other very helpful intervention for people who suffer from sort of autonomic dysfunction is medical hypnosis. Medical hypnosis has been shown to be very effective in dealing with some of the disorders. For example, it's the best treatment for severe irritable bowel syndrome. It's been shown in many scientific studies. But for people who've got, for example, um, hyperventilation syndromes, chronic headaches, um, sense of tachycardia, heart rate going, people who pass a lot of urine, um, without necessarily having urine infection, these sort of software problems, medical hypnosis can be very highly effective if practiced by a, a, a very skilled practitioner, of whom there are very few. And I, I always think it's a great pity that, you know, the medical, the healthcare profession, doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals, maybe OTs, etc., aren't taught these tools as well as part of their therapeutic armament here, because that can be extremely helpful. So in answer to your question, and maybe to sort of give an overview of what we've been talking about, many patients who go along to their doc with symptoms will have a whole array of tests done. And the tests don't really explain why the patient has got abdominal discomfort, bloating, belching, indigestion, headaches, muscle pains, chronic fatigue, um, these urinary symptoms, maybe dysmenorrhea, you know, these sort of problems. Um, and, 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 and essentially, you know, that's where the medical profession tends to drop out of it because we haven't really inculcated software into clinical practice at this point in time because it's, it's really so new. The understanding is so new. But that has to happen in the interest of our patients. And I think we are now just at that tipping point where for patients who've got unexplained disorders, who are often told that they're neurotic, they're too stressed, et cetera, um, I think the measurement of physiological well-being and by trying to uh, provide therapy, which is not drug therapy, but it's therapy designed to get the orchestra playing in better harmony, um, may be a way forward. Now, that's not to undermine the whole idea of hardware disorders. There are plenty of people who do turn out to have hardware disorders. And we need to look on both sides of the fence. We need to integrate the two. So... That's basically the message that I wanted to convey. And I hope that you managed to get the drift of what is really quite a complex idea. Thank you for that explanation. Um, clearly explained and easily understood.
how might someone access the bodyguard test and treatment? Um, okay, so I think it's just a matter of contacting the uh, appointments desk and indicating that um, you wish to consult concerning the possibility of uh, bodyguard autonomic, checking the autonomic nervous system. And um, you'll be put through to the department, our minimally invasive gastroenterology unit. Uh, and we, we can organize that for you. It's, it's done by post, by the way. You don't have to come to the hospital to have the test done. Bodyguard is posted out by Colette, uh, who then um, sends out the instructions. You wear it for three days. You post it back to us. And following that, I usually have a consultation online or by telephone, but preferably like we're doing now. Um, and I go through the results of the test and make some recommendations as well. Um, the other possibility is um, just going straight through to, uh, to Colette, who coordinates Bodyguard, um, her email address, and maybe somebody can send it out, if, or you can inquire about her address, is c.durkan, D-U-R-C-A-N, at nhs.net, c.durkan, D-U-R-C-A-N, at nhs.net, saying that you're interested in uh, Bodyguard assessment, and uh, Colette can help sort that out. And as I say, one of the beauties of the test is you don't have to come to hospital. It's all done uh, through the post. Thank you again, Prof Epstein, for joining us and talking to us about another interesting topic, the vagus nerve. I'm sure many of our listeners, patients, GPs will find it very insightful, very useful like we did. And we hope to have you back again soon on another podcast. It's a great pleasure. It was, uh, it's always nice having the opportunity to talk to a wider audience. information on the bodyguard test and treatment at PPU, please visit our website at royalfreeprivatepatients.com. The content of the podcast is intended to provide information only and does not replace a consultation with an appropriately qualified health professional. If you have concerns or questions about your health, please contact your GP. Thank you for listening to this podcast.